I am a noble steed. Is that from a movie? Yeah, you know that movie, don't you? Well, today's Palm Sunday kicks off a, an amazing week of great drama and excitement, some moments that uh, we hang our head at because we think about what happens on Friday. And, uh, but Friday, we have to have Friday to really appreciate Sunday. And so this, this year for, for Holy Week, we want to provide an experience for you to really to soak in the cross, to really appreciate what happened that day. And so we, we're doing this thing called the Good Friday Experience, and that's going to be from 6 to 9 on Friday nights. And uh, there's going to be different stations and places. We really want you to experience the cross uh, really firsthand. And uh, it's not from 6 to 9. You can come anytime in between. You'll, you'll go through it about an hour. We're going to have something for family, for kids as well. So this is a great opportunity for your, for your whole family to really soak in this week. And then we want to invite you this Sunday uh, to take your Easter celebration to the next level this year. Okay? We want to party. We want to celebrate uh, what the day is all about. And hopefully you've got family gatherings planned. If you don't, create a family gathering. We are a community of believers. We want to celebrate together, and we want to put Jesus right at the center of our table uh, next Sunday. And so invite friends to be a part of that celebration. Everybody loves an invite. When you're invited to something, that's exciting. So next week, you got two chances to invite. Nine and 11 are service times. If you show up at 1015, that's okay. We'll have breakfast happening at 1015, and then you can catch the 11 o'clock. So 9 and 11, good stuff happening all day next week. Well, today is Palm Sunday. Back when I was a kid, uh, Palm Sunday, we used to have these palms in, in church. This one is authentic because it, it actually has the stickers, and I'm possibly going to bleed in front of you today. Uh, but we would wave the palm branches and remember Palm Sunday because it was the day that to kick off Holy Week when Jesus came into town uh, riding on a colt and people waved the palm branches and they said, what? Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now I have to be honest with you, I've always kind of felt weird about this day. It's kind of a strange day. It's, it's a little bit even ironic kind of strange because you think about it, Jesus is riding into town and he knows that those same people that are waving the palm branches in just a few days are going to be yelling something very different. They're going to be yelling, crucify him, crucify him. That just gives me kind of weird feelings. And I wonder what Jesus was feeling. It's very, just an ironic day. And it's so ironic. I had Alanis Morissette in my mind all this week, if you're from the 90s, you know what I'm talking about. If you're a kid from the 90s, wave your hand in the air. Wave them like you just don't care. Like Fred and Moeva and the Mouseketeers. You know what I'm talking about? There's, the 90s are awesome, by the way. I'm going to talk to the teenagers around a little bit. The 90s are the best. Uh, we had great music. No reality TV, really. It was like real TV that was funny and good. And Hootie was with the Blowfish, not singing uh, country music and stuff like that. Uh, but Alanis Morissette, she sang this song, Isn't It Ironic, Don't You Think? Uh, and actually, the song is not very ironic if you think about the, the lyrics. 
But I, as I was thinking about irony, I, I, I Googled, because that's what you do when you're, you're bored, a couple of ironic pictures for us uh, today. We've got, that's Alana, by the way, uh, in her video, isn't it ironic? A couple of pictures, uh, you got the five-hour energy guys, <laughs> sleep, you've got, uh, how about this guy? Uh, <laughs> I know that I've done this before in some capacity. How about this one? Some of the quicker ones were, were fast on that one. Uh, and then the last one. Read carefully every, every letter. That's not how you spell nothing. But it is a, it's, an, it's an ironic day, and we'll get to that in, in a second. To, to kind of to get us going this morning, I, I want us to have a little bit of a, a vision test. How, how good is your vision this morning? All right, if you have glasses, you can, you can pull them off for a second. Have you ever gone to the doctor, and you, you, I'm sure you have before, where you've got the letters on the, the thing, and yet one eye, two eye, or when you get your glasses, is the first one or the second one? Number one or number two? Number one or number two? All right. We're going to throw a thing up. Can, you, can everybody read this this morning, these letters? All right, are we good? The, the bottom three letters are? Awesome. Let's go to the next one. Oh, can you, can you read the top line? All right, how about the line just underneath the green line? Can you read that? All right, how about the line underneath the red? Can you read that? All right, how about that very bottom line? Without your glasses. Now, for those of you who can, do the, the left eye, the right eye. Ah. Uh, now, I thought about, I thought about putting a, a, a really funny picture of Pastor Garen somewhere in this little uh, exercise, but I think I'm going to save that. I'm going to save that because sometimes uh, if you wait, it's, it's worse. Uh, so we'll go with that thought. But there's an interesting story in the Bible, Mark chapter 8, and, and I'm going to even venture to say some of you probably have never heard of it before. It's so kind of bizarre and crazy. It's in Mark chapter 8. So if you want to flip your Bible there, Mark chapter 8, we're going to start with verse 22. And if you, if you don't have a Bible with you, hopefully you have an app on your phone. If you don't have the app, there is an amazingly free app, and it's called YouVersion. And uh, you can download it on your, your phone, and uh, you've got, you, got, you have different reading plans and reminders. You can listen to it. There's, there's all kinds of cool stuff with that. So check that out, But YouVersion. But we're in Mark chapter 8, verse 22, and uh, here's the story. It's an encounter with, that, that a man has with Jesus. When they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus, and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand, and he led him out of the village. Then, spitting in the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, Can you see anything now? The man looked around. Yes, he said, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Yes, this is in the Bible. 
Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were open. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. Jesus sent him away, saying, don't go back into the village on your way home. All right, so here's the story. This man comes up. He's blind. Jesus pulls him aside, and he just, yeah, that's a gross sound. I don't know if I can use the word loogie and Jesus in the same sentence, but he spits in the man's eyes. Now, there's another story in the Bible where he spits on the ground and he makes like mud eyeballs bloop, and pops them in and the guy can see. But this story, it looks like he just spits right into his, his eyes, his face. And then he rubs the guy's eyes and he asks, can you see? And the man's like, well, suddenly I see these things that look, I think they're people, but they look like trees. They look like trees, which I would... The, the cynic in me says, how do you know what a tree looks like? But we, we move on. And so Jesus is like, it's, it's almost like Jesus goes, well, maybe I used the wrong kind of spit. And so try number two or did the eye test or something there. He rubs his eyes again and, and now he can see clearly. He can see perfectly clear. My, my guess, knowing Jesus, 2020 vision, okay? He can now see. Now, what an odd, odd story. But, but what we have to do is we have to read within context to see, because oftentimes things like this, you have to ask questions. Why would he place that story there? What is significant about the other things around it? And it's so important that we put things in context. Sometimes we take things out of context, and it takes away the meaning of something. Great example of this, the one I always think of, Philippians 4.13, it's a great verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's an amazing verse. Now, as a high school kid, I would use that verse a lot when I was getting ready to go play basketball or to go play different sports and like get pumped up. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah. Or, you know, in, in various contexts. But if you look at the context of, of when Paul writes that, where is he at? He's in prison. He's going through this dialogue of saying, you know what, things look pretty bad right now. But I have learned to live when I had things, I had everything going for me, and I know what it's like to have nothing right and nothing going for you. And being in the middle of a prison, a dungeon, and I can say these words, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God can help me in the moment of my life when it's the worst and when it's the best. It's not when... I want to jump from one side of a mountain to the next, like, and, and I can do this because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God's going to tell you, don't jump across that mountain, all right, physically. Sometimes there are maybe some, some you know, metaphorical mountains that we need to jump over, but we don't know to use things out of context. So let's put this in context real quick. What happens right afterwards? What's the story that happens afterwards? Jesus comes up to his disciples, and he says this, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am, if you ask around? And some of his disciples, they, they pop up and they say, well, you're very popular right now. You know, some people say you're John the Baptist. Some people say you're Elijah, which these are highly known, I mean, very respected uh, biblical figures. And uh, people say, man, they just say, speak highly of you. Then he says, well, well, what do you say? Who do you say that I am? Well, Peter replies, and he gets this one right. Sometimes Peter doesn't get it right, but he gets this one right. And he says, you are the Messiah. 
you are the Messiah. You're the Son of God. You're the one that we've been waiting for. And Jesus says, good. Now, don't, don't tell anybody right now. Because there's going to be a time where everyone will know. But, but not, right now is not the time. And after this little, this little scene here, Jesus pulls the disciples and he says this. He says, the Son of Man is going to suffer. I'm going to, I'm going to see terrible things are going to happen. I'm going to be rejected by elders, the leading priests, the teachers of the law. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be killed. But three days later, rise again. And that's what we're going to celebrate next Sunday. But when this happens, guess what Peter does? He pulls Jesus aside. And the Bible says he rebukes Jesus. Rebukes Jesus. He reprimands Jesus. Now, have you ever done that to your mama before? Okay? What happens when you shush mama? What happens when you say... And maybe some of you have said this before, shut up to mama. Mm, oh, I would never do that. Oh, whatever. You know you have been in that situation before where you, if you didn't say it with your mouth, you rolled your eyes. And that is worse. Because what happens then, mama eyes come out and steam starts to come out. Now, as I was thinking about this this week, I was kind of, you know, once again, Googling, which sometimes is, uh, you know, waste some time. But, but I learned of, of a, something I didn't really know a lot about, the chancla. The chancla, am I saying that right? When Hispanic mamas, when they get the mama eye, uh, the chancla comes off and can be used as a weapon. All right? Some of us experience the belt, some of us just the hand or the spoon, but the, the, the chancla, okay? Now, there's actually a whole site in various places that are, are dedicated to this I survival, the, the survival of this, all right? And a couple of pictures that'll, that'll help us uh, understand that a little better. Uh, yeah, there, there's a great... There's actually a video of this, this mom, and she's, she's making dinner, and uh, her, her, her kid says something in the other room, smart mouth, and she literally just grabs it and goes, what's up? Uh, and here's, here's, an, here's one more. Now, I don't know what happened when you said something like that to your mom. But uh, I, I said it once or twice to mine, and it did not go well. Did not go well at all. Now, I kind of see this moment when Peter's like, when he, it gets on to Jesus. He just said that you're the, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. And he's telling Jesus, stop talking that way, Jesus. I can't imagine the look that Jesus had. But, but he uses some of the strongest language we have here. And he basically says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. What, what, does he, what does he say next? You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. You see, Peter pulled him aside and is like, that's not the way Messiahs act, okay? Jesus you're not acting the right way. You see, Messiahs, they come in and they use force to get what they want. 
they, they force people to do uh, what they want them to do. That's the way kings operate. We get the biggest army, we get the, the biggest guns, and we come in and we just boom, boom, boom. King, king. Kings want people to serve them. That's what Peter, you know, remember that scene when he's, Jesus is trying to wash his feet in just a few chapters? And, and what is Jesus? He's, he's washing Peter's feet. You don't wash my feet. Kings don't do that. Messiahs don't do that. Messiahs, they don't suffer. They don't die. They cause others to suffer and die. And oh yeah, by the way, I have a list of people if you need to get a few started for you. That's not the way Messiahs act. And so this whole scene, palm branches, Messiah's coming in. He's going to come in and he's going to save the day. He's going to come in and kick Rome out. And suddenly we are going to get what we've always wanted. But we see things, you know, we see things, we don't see them very clearly. We see Jesus, but we don't see him very clearly. The disciples had this problem, and I think that we do too. I think that I do too. And there's some ways that we do that. And I think that we, there's just kind of universal things that are always pulling us and always blurring our vision. One of these things is how we sometimes can compartmentalize our faith. When we, when we compartmentalize our, our faith. Now back to the 90s, the best decade of all, uh, in the 80s, there was this thing called the Trapper Keeper. Does anybody remember the Trapper Keeper? Uh, it was amazing. Uh, they had really cool graphics like that. Uh, or like a unicorn if you were a girl and all that, or a guy, but um, they just had really cool stuff like that. And in the Trapper Keeper, first of all, the Trapper Keeper was for the cool kids. Uh, it was like the name brand thing, which my mom was not name brand mama. Uh, we had like, instead of Fruit Loops, we had like Fruit Circles. Uh, I never had Nikes. Uh, we had like whatever was the, the knockoff brands of everything. Dr. Thunder was in our refrigerator. So the Trapper Keeper just wasn't happening in my house. Uh, we had the notebook with the, remember the tabs that you had to like write in the little bitty piece and you had to stick them in that different color? Who can do that, by the way? Who has like... Bunchkin fingers to be able to put that in there. I, I, I don't. But the Trapper Keeper from the 90s, they, you know, you have these different compartments. It's so organized. It's broken up into different places. And when I think about this whole compartmentalization of our faith, I think about the Trapper Keeper. It just jumps to my mind every time. Because with the Trapper Keeper, you have these different places and different sections. And I kind of think one of the things that really blurs our vision is that we put Jesus into one little slot. And we put other things in slots as well, in other folders. Like, like our work, our business. That's a completely different area over here. We've got our, our home life. We've got our family. We've got our entertainment. We've got our faith. And, and this doesn't necessarily have to do with everything. Okay? And we separate everything. And, and that's a, that's a Jesus thing. That doesn't have anything to do with work, okay? And what I think Jesus wants us, and I'm convinced of this, that when you put your name on this trapper keeper of life, your, your life, your, your, your world, that your name that goes on the front, it, it's not your trapper keeper. You give it to God. And it's not just one section, it's everything. 
So how does this play out? Well, your, your church life is not different than your school life. And the way you act in different areas of your life is consistently the same. And it's all given to God as a gift. And it helps us to ask different questions, I think, as well. Instead of going to God and saying, God, I've got this going on in my life. Can you bless what I'm doing? We begin to ask questions like this. What is God doing in this world? What redemptive act is God doing here, there, or wherever? Henry Blackaby talks about this in his book, Experiencing God, where he just says, find out what God's doing. And God's up to stuff in this world. He's making things new. He is healing hearts and lives. He is bringing hope to people all around. And I want to be a part of that. He invites us to be a part of that. It's not about, God, here's what I got going on. Bless me and my plans. It is, God, what are your plans? What are you doing? I want to be a part of what you're doing, Lord. It's a completely different mindset, and we constantly want to blur the lines of separating our faith from everything else. Another, another thing that kind of blurs a lot, the, our eyes is just our sense of entitlement. And when we, when we hear entitlement, we think, man, it's that, those young kids today, they're so entitled. And uh, I think about that with my kids and about the things that they have and, and so worried about that. But that's not a kid problem. That's an us problem. I mean, we are so entitled as Let's just be honest, Americans. We're, we're entitled in this country that we live. We, we feel like we, we deserve, deserve everything, and we're so spoiled. I went with my, uh, I was with my friends this week, and uh, Preston and, and Jeffrey, and uh, they just got back from Swaziland, Africa. And it was so amazing to hear the stories of things that are happening over there. And uh, just a couple of pictures. You got uh, pastor, former pastor before me, Jeffrey. Uh, yeah, playing Goliath uh, for the kids there in Swaziland. Uh, there's a funny story about uh, Jeffrey being on top of Preston's shoulders uh, playing Goliath. You have to ask him about that afterwards. Goliath fell down, and it was pretty awkward. Uh, I, think, I think Preston had to hold Jeffrey for like seven minutes on his, on his shoulders. But uh, here's another picture that Preston took uh, of some of the homes there. Actually, Preston didn't take it, obviously, but uh, he took a lot, and this was him, him uh, filming and taking pictures of some of the, the things that they, they saw. And as I was talking to both of them this week, uh, there, just the excitement of what, they, what God was doing and the things that they saw, and, and I just couldn't help but being ex- excited as well. And I was talking to Jeffrey uh, a couple of times, and uh, Jeffrey's not, I'm a crier, okay? But Jeffrey's not as, as much of a crier, okay? But every single time that he would talk about the, what's happening there and, and what the people have and the fact that we're so spoiled, we take so many things for granted, and I know that we know this. We know this, okay? And if you've ever been to a mission, on a missions trip before, it just it blows you away. You cannot come back the same. You can't. And I invite you to take that adventure because you will be changed forever. But, but something can happen too. We've been there. We've seen that and go, God, thank you so much. Thank you for giving me so much. It's not, and I didn't do any of that. You, you get that, right? You don't control that. We, we have the mentality, if I just work hard, then we get things. You can work hard in other places and not have anything. 
okay? It's not just because you work hard. We're just lucky to live here, okay? So when he comes back and he's telling me, he just couldn't help but just at times cry because you just get it then. But if you've been on a trip like that before, space happens after the trip, and suddenly you forget, don't we? We all forget. And we have that sense of, I deserve this. I'm defined by this. I need this. I got to have this. No, we don't. No, we don't. Our, 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 our blurred vision causes us to ask uh, some, some difficult questions to God, even go to God and question him. And all this, the basis of all this is, is really this word, it's called individualism. It's this everything surrounds, it's all about, it's all about me. It's all about me. And if, if, if you don't want to admit this, it's just a reality. It's for each of us and it's always pulling us and always blurring the lines. And, and, and we start to see things like people using people to get what they want. Teenagers, just gonna just real quick, there's gonna be situations in your life where it looks like people have the best intentions for you, but the truth is they are using you to get what they need or want, and they'll just discard you when it's over. We have situations all the time where people are, are, are used, sometimes in the best intentions. I've got a friend that she's an amazing philanthropist, uh, and she's constantly giving money away. And I've heard her talk about just the, the, the awkwardness of a lunch where you're invited or a dinner, where you're invited by someone. Oh, we want to catch up. We want to eat a meal together. How are you doing? And then at the end of the conversation, the baits and switch of, oh, by the way, we need this. Or can you donate to this? And we know, hey, I know the reality of needing money for good things. But there's just that feeling of we just have that of, of we, can, we can use people to, to get what we, what we need. We even do that. We see that when pictures or videos flash on the news. And they can be hilarious. We've seen this trend with like fail pictures. It's hilarious until we see the headlines of someone that's, that's hurt themselves because of the pain that our, our enjoyment has brought them in life and how we've used the, the weapons of shame to hurt people. We, we, we can see it everywhere. Sometimes this individualism just calls us to, to really be blurred in even great places like church. Miss Mary, I don't know if you miss Mary, she is our office uh, manager, and she really just, let's just be honest, she just runs the church. Uh, she's amazing, and, and I say that in a good way. She just, if, if Mary wasn't here, things would fall apart, okay? We would be worshiping in the dark, and uh, it would probably be very hot, and nothing would be together. Um, she's amazing. She has this book in her office. I call it Mary's Big uh, Notebook, okay? And in that notebook, uh, there are the numbers, really, of everything, and specifically how, much, how many people come to church on Sunday, okay? And every week, there's a, a new number that's added in there. Now, before I became pastor, that notebook never entered my mind, okay? Ne I never even considered even looking at it, but now I'm like, 
the notebook is so important. Because you know what? Those numbers, they reflect me. And I don't want to think about that. So I avoid the notebook. And the movie as well, the notebook. <laughs> because church sometimes can be about, can be about numbers. It can be about financial numbers. There's going to be numbers that we had to do. We have district assembly coming up, and there's going to be these notebooks, and you have everybody's numbers from every church. If your life is focused, if church is focused that way, we're here for the wrong reasons. I'm here for the wrong reasons. We can make church about that as well when they get blurred and, and say things like, man, worship was great today. I, I, felt, I felt chill bumps. Man, I got something out of that today. Man, they sang the songs that I like. Man, when that Hillsong, uh, Hosanna, I, I would do Hillsong every week. Hillsong is going to be playing in, in, in heaven, I believe, one day. That's where I would have worship every week. If it was up to me. It was up to me. And church is defined by the songs that we sing and how we felt not about the worship that we gave to God. And we know, we know that worship is about God. We know it's about giving him praise and about giving him glory. It's about saying, God, we praise you. But I wonder if we're like those people and we're praising, Jesus, what are you going to do for us? What are you going to do for me? God, you're going to come in here, you're going to kick these Romans out? And you know what? Then I'm going to have a nicer home. I'm going to have freedom. I'm going to get to do what I want to do. And we wave our palm branches. There's good news. There's really good news. Jesus, he kept on coming into the city. Jesus knew everything. He knew that. He saw even the looks in his eyes, the people's eyes. He knew what was going to happen in a couple of days. And he kept on coming. The disciples, they were, had blurred vision. They did not get it. They did not get it. Remember that, that, that story of the, the mom, James and John? She's like, hey, Jesus says the exact same thing. I'm going to come into town. I'm going to get hurt. I'm going to get punished. I'm going to get tortured. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And what's mom come up? James and John, sons of Zebedee. She says, all right, now when you get into your kingdom, my boys, can you sit them on your left and on your right? And I wonder if Jesus just looked around and wanted to say, do you hear the words that are coming out of my mouth? I'm going to die. Hey, hey, what's in it for me? But Jesus pulls them aside and says, listen, here's the way the world operates. Power, might, guilt, shame. When people get that, they lord it over others. Not so with us. That's not the way we work. That's not the way the kingdom works. This kingdom is, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. It's about him. It's about what he is doing in the world. Worship is not about us. It's about it's about him and putting him in proper place in our lives. Jesus tortured, it happens, next this coming week we, as we, we think about it. And we think about the cross. He died for us. He was 
risen again. He comes back, he, his disciples see him, and in Acts, you see that in the first chapter, that he's getting ready to leave. He's with them for 40 days after the resurrection. And his disciples in Acts chapter one, I think it's verse six, they go to him and he's like, okay, so, so now is the time that your kingdom's gonna come? Now is the time that we're gonna get what we want? And I wonder, Jesus goes, I'm done. Get me out of here, God. And that's when he, he floats up to heaven. The good news is this. Jesus leaves. The Holy Spirit comes down. And I wonder if there was just like a tag midair, the Holy Spirit happening. And it just overflows to the disciples. And they get it. They suddenly, they don't just see People that look like trees, they start to see very clearly the world. They begin to see the kingdom of God at work, and they begin to spread the good news around to people, because that's what it's all about. It's about Jesus and spreading the gospel, the good news for the whole world. And when they get it, this world is is lit on fire for him. People begin to, to come to know him. In, in real and powerful ways, and their lives are changed. Their lives are changed forever. And I think, I think today there's also hope for the crowd as they get to see that the irony of this day, Palm Sunday, there's something else that was happening in the city. There is this day, it's actually known as Lamb Selection Day. And lambs, little sheep, from the, the fields of Bethlehem. They were raised in this little town called Bethlehem. I don't know if you've ever heard of it before. But they were raised there, and they were brought into the city this day, on, on this Palm Sunday. They were brought into the city, and families would go, and they would choose a, a lamb. And the lamb would actually stay with them for four days or five days in the, in the house. And they would play with the lamb, and they would, they would, they would spend time with the lamb, And eventually they would put hands on the lamb, transferring their sins into the sheep. And at the end of the week, on Friday, these sheep would be sacrificed. They'd be sacrificed for the sins of the people. And at 3 o'clock on Friday afternoon, the last one would be sacrificed. 3 o'clock, the last time that Jesus would speak on the cross and say, it is finished, and bring hope for everyone. And there's hope for us as well. There's hope for us as well, because you see these very palm branches that sometimes we wave. I don't know if some of you guys were here for the, the, the Ash Wednesday service that we had, but we, we had ashes that you could take in the form of a cross. You see, what happens with these palm branches is that they're burned. They're burned, and instead of palm branches, they become ashes that we form as a cross, symbolizing death to self, death to self, and being alive in Jesus Christ. Pastor Garen's going to come and... uh, He's going to lead us in a song, and uh, it's a song that, uh, it's, it's actually from the 90s. There's a theme this morning. 
Um, and it's this song that uh, was written by a guy named Matt Redman. And uh, he, Matt's a talented worship leader. And the, the story behind the song, it's called The Heart of Worship. You probably, maybe you've heard of it before. But essentially, church, for many people at his home church, had become all about, had become all about them. Life had become all about them. Worship had become all about them. And so he wrote this song, and basically it took away all the, the instruments and said, it's, it, it's not about us. This week, folks, this week is not about us. It's about him. When we celebrate on Sunday, it's not about us. It's about what he has done for us. And so this morning as we respond and we think about what this week is all about, we think about the crosses that we see in the room and we think about uh, what Jesus has done for us, maybe we need to, to put some palm branches down and we need to burn them. We need to burn them and say, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's all about you, Jesus worship let's let's pray together god it is all about you jesus lord i pray that you would touch our eyes again and help us to see clearly help us see your kingdom alive in this world restoring renewing doing amazing work in the hearts and lives of people god help us to see people the way you see people I love that line, break our hearts for what breaks yours in this world, God. God, I pray that you would rip the me out of, out of our lives, the, this, the selfishness that we're all so, we're so guilty of, it. we're drawn to it, Lord. God, forgive us of that, Lord. God, I, I, Lord, forgive us for making faith about you and telling you what to do. Sometimes even getting on to you for, for doing what you do. God, I pray that our lives would be about you, Lord, about your kingdom, about building it up in the lives of others, that we would love, that would speak truth and hope into this dark and lost world that desperately needs you, Jesus. God, remind us daily, Lord, help us to come to you daily so that we can, can have our eyes touched again, so we can once again, we can go into your world and we can see clearly again, and we can put things in the right perspective, Jesus. God, I pray that you would help us to, to lean into you this season, this week, Lord. God, as we think about what you have done for us, God, Lord, I pray that you would, you would help us to avoid the temptation to make it all about, about us this week. And we would give you proper perspective, Jesus. And we would, we would put you on the throne, God, that we would truly worship you, God. I pray that we would we come into this place on Sundays, God, as we, we worship you during the week, God, that we would do it not for us. We would do it for you, God. We would come in and we would recognize you. We would acknowledge you, the one that has given us every good gift. Lord, it's from you, God. Lord, we thank you for the grace that you have given us. Lord, we were lost without you. But because of your mercy, but because of what you did, we could do nothing. Lord, you give us forgiveness. You give us new life. You wipe away our past. It's all because of your unconditional grace and love that, that happened and demonstrated itself on a cross, Jesus. And we celebrate your cross 
this week. Lord, I pray for the person in this room that they haven't taken that, 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 that step of faith of following you, of saying, God, I, I want to, to come after you. I want to deny myself. I want, to, I want to lay the palm branches down, and I want to take the cross. Deny myself, Lord, for you, to live for you. Jesus, I pray for that person as they're praying right now that they would begin that journey of saying, yes, Jesus, I will follow you. I will follow you to the cross, and I will live for you forever. God, be with this week as, as we come together as a community on Sunday, Jesus. Lord, help us, Lord, to celebrate like we have never celebrated before, to party in the grace that you have given us, that, that sins are forgiven, that new life has come because of your son. God, you are so good to us. We thank you for what's gonna happen and what has been done and what you do for us, Jesus. And we pray all these things in your precious holy name. And everyone said, Amen.